The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. John saw Jesus and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My dear friends, I don't think any of us can truly understand what it was like to be a believer in Old Testament Israel, especially when it came to their worship life. We gather here and we are free to express ourselves in many different ways. In the Old Testament, everything was highly regulated. Your service had to go a certain way. And the other thing about their worship that was so much different was that theirs was sacrificial worship. You had to kill animals. And there was blood everywhere. You would usually kill the animal yourself, so you had blood on you. And then the priest would take the animal, and he would get blood on himself, on his hands and on his white robes. And then you would take blood, and you would smear blood on the side of the altar. Blood everywhere. They were regulated in the way they worshipped. They had what were called four blood sacrifices in their worship. A couple of them said to the people, we want to give expression of our thanks to you, Lord. And so there was the the burnt offering where everything was regulated, how you cut the animal, how you put the animal on the altar. There was the uh, the fellowship offering, which, which parts of the animal you would use to sacrifice on the fire and other parts which you would use to eat and then you would give to the priests. There were also the sacrificial um, uh, uh, offerings that, that said we need to restore a relationship with God. I've sinned against you. And so you come with your animal and you offer your animal as a sin offering and you say, Lord, I broke our relationship. I need you to recover it for me. And then there was also a guilt offering, which basically said, I've, I've hurt my, my neighbor, and my neighbor and I need to be reconciled. And Lord, we come to you for that reconciliation. Every one of them required blood, lots and lots of blood. But you have to understand that all of this sacrificial worship was not about work righteousness, not about what you did for God. Rather, the sacrifices were all about a high high drama of, of how the Lord was going to take care of the sins of his people. Sacrificial worship is about those big words of of theology that we learned in confirmation class, atonement and justification and redemption and reconciliation and expiation and substitution. Because everything was pointed to the marvelous acts that God was giving and doing for his people. And it really kind of goes all the way back, if you want to think about it that way, to the Garden of Eden. Remember when guilty Adam and Eve were standing there in their flimsy little fig leaves? And God looks at them and says, you really think that that's going to cover up your guilt and shame? He says, let me show you how guilt and shame is going to be covered. And he killed an animal. 
We're told that he ripped off the hide and he turned it into clothes for them, and they can't help wonder maybe if there was still blood on those clothes, reminding them that blood was going to be needed to cover their sins. Every time an Israelite came to worship, blood had to be shed. Usually, a male without blemish or defect, a perfect male, get the point of that? And every time they did, the Lord was saying to them, I will cover your sins with blood. I am declaring you not guilty. I am restoring our relationship. But the fact that it was always animal blood reminded them that this blood is only a picture. It really can't save you. Animal blood cannot take away sins. But one day there is going to be a perfect sacrifice, perfect blood, and that perfect blood will be spilled for you. This animal blood is only a picture of the great sacrifice that I intend to give you. The reality will be found when God, when I, God, myself, will crush the head of Satan. Now, no more was this clear was this sacrificial worship uh, understood than on the great day of atonement. What, what Easter is for us as Christians, the great day of atonement was for the Old Testament people. On that day, a lot of blood shed, but on that particular day, the high priest would take some of that blood for himself and for the people. And he would go into the most holy place of the tabernacle, a place that that God says was where he lived, and he would, he would stand before the, the Ark of the Covenant and he would sprinkle blood on what was called the mercy seat. God called that his throne on earth. And inside of that Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments. And in essence, we were saying, we're sprinkling the blood to cover your sins against all your offenses against God. And then after the high priest was done with that, he would go out with his bloody hands and there was this animal that was called the scapegoat and he would place his hands on the scapegoat and he would declare that the sins of the people were put on the animal. And then a caretaker would take the animal out into the wilderness, take it away into the wilderness and see to it that that animal was dead, thereby saying the sins of the people can never return to them that they were out of sight of not only the people, but also of God himself. It's interesting to know that when we use the word forgiveness in the New Testament, the meaning of the word really truly means taken away. And that's how God wants us to look at our sins, that they're taken away from his sight forever. Now this played out every year. An imperfect high priest going into the, to the most holy place, offering imperfect, in a sense, blood. But it always, always pointed ahead that God was one day going to offer that perfect blood. That someone was going to be able to walk into the presence of God and stand before him and offer the one 
and the last sacrifice for the sins of the world. So the next day, we're told in our text, John saw Jesus and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that phrase, the Lamb of God, did not go over the head of anyone who was standing there. John was saying he was the Lamb, the one, the ultimate one to be sacrificed. And from that moment on, John's message went from the Savior is coming, be ready for him, to the Savior is here. Put your trust in him. I think it's kind of interesting that he says, I did not know who he was. Of course John knew who Jesus was. It was his cousin. I can't help wonder if his mom Elizabeth used to tell him about how he leaped in her womb when he met his cousin Jesus for the first time. I wonder if he ever sat down and talked to Aunt Mary about some of the ponderings in her heart that she used to have. I wonder if John knew the reputation of his cousin, you know, that perfect child, that perfect neighbor, that perfect friend, the one who just never did anything wrong. But the fact of the matter was, he says, I didn't know who he was until that event that happened the day before. When John heard the voice of God, and when he saw the Spirit landing on the shoulders of his cousin, and he realized that he was God's chosen one, the one who was declared in the Old Testament to be coming, to be the Savior. Here was the Messiah, the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, equipped by the Holy Spirit to take up the plans of his Father. He was going to be the perfect go-between who could stand between the world and God himself and face the wrath of God and deflected away from all of us. He was the one. Everything that had been written about him 4,000 years, for 4,000 years through prophecy was now here. It was, it was here, finally. And you and I know this one. As the lamb who laid down on the altar of God's, God's cross, and who through many acts along the way that night that he was betrayed and died dropped every last bit of blood from his body. And you and I know that as he died the curtain in the temple was torn in two and God was saying this is it. No more blood ever again needs to be shed for sin. 
The message of Epiphany for you and me is that Jesus manifests himself. He makes himself known to us as the Savior of all, as the Savior of the world. But our text also tells us that he manifests himself to people. The second part of the text says, the two disciples heard him say this, heard John say this, look, the Lamb of God, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and saw them following him, he asked, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he told them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock. John, the Apostle John, remembered the very moment when he had an opportunity to see Jesus for the first time. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his own brother Simon and say to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. See, John's preaching paid off, didn't it? He prepared his disciples by telling them someone greater than he was coming, someone who was eternal. John recognized that his cousin was truly God. He was man, God in the flesh. And when his disciples, what we, who we call St. John, the writer of the fourth, the fourth gospel, and Andrew were told, look the Lamb of God, they saw the greater one and they followed him. And their lives were never going to be the same. They would see miracles. They would hear his teaching. They would witness his love and compassion towards all people. They would see his blood spilled. They would see him rise from the dead. They would see what John had preached to them and told them, which the Old Testament had declared to them. Not only did they take up company with Jesus, Andrew found his brother Simon, and he said, we have found the Messiah, the promised one. Because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit takes hold of your heart that you see Jesus as your Savior, as a Savior that you want to learn from, a Savior you want to share. What may have started out for them as a matter of curiosity came into a conviction of life that led them to give everything for their Lord. And they were the ones that laid out the testimony of the Savior for you and me. So we by, are broken by our own sinfulness, who need real peace restored with our judge, who we will stand before one day.
who long for the calm and the assurance that only the forgiveness of sins can bring. We look to the Lamb of God for forgiveness and for peace. Jesus is manifested to us through that work. And then you and I have the privilege to manifest him to others who are broken and in need of the peace that Jesus brings. I remember a story about a little town in the late 1800s or mid-1800s in Germany. I can't remember the name, Mecklenburg or something like that. It was an interesting event that took place in that little town. One day a pastor heard a rap on the door of the church and a man came to him and said, Pastor, I want to confess my sins. I need to be reminded of God's love. And so he came in and he confessed sins, great and small, and the pastor announced, Yes, son, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You are forgiven. But something strange happened in that little town. Pretty soon, there was another knock on the door. And then another one. By the end of two months, over 150 people had come to the pastor, knocked on his door, and asked that their sins could be confessed and washed away. But something else happened along the way. There was a change in the people's hearts and in the way that they lived in their own little town. Debts were restored. Old, old conflicts were covered. People were generally nice to one another because people knew the spirit in their heart and they knew power of forgiveness. But then something else happened. A man who had never been in the church before came to the pastor and said, I want to know what all of these people in town know. And yet another, and yet another. because people not only realized that this peace was for themselves, but they did what Andrew did. They told their unchurched and unbelieving neighbors, we have found the Savior, and we want him to be your Savior too. Not a lot of fanfare in that story, is there? You and I live in a marvelous time a time where we don't have to shed blood for every aspect of our life with Jesus. He simply tells us to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We live at a time when we can look back and we can see the ultimate sacrifice having take place for our sins so that we have confidence to look forward and know that the Lamb one day will come back and will lead us to the green pastures of heaven where we will be with him forever. Today it is our privilege to listen to this marvelous message, look the Lamb of God, 
and realize he's not the Savior of just us, but of our friends and our neighbors as well. So, in this time that we have, praise him by proclaiming that peace to others. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.